worship you. We give you all the praise. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated if you like. Praise the Lord. Again, it's so good to have every one of you in the house of the Lord. We're talking this morning about Hosea, about being faithful to forgive. And we know the Lord is faithful, and the Lord is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Even when we haven't been faithful yet, He abideth faithful. And we got into last, or a couple of weeks ago, we started into the Minor Prophets. And, of course, the Minor Prophets are a section of the Old Testament of the Bible. And, um, you know, the Bible can basically be divided out into ten sections. And this is the way we, we learned years ago in Sunday school, and they actually taught it in Bible school also. But you can divide the Bible up into ten sections, and using their ten fingers, you can um, identify those ten, five for the old and five for the new. So in the Old Testament, um, each finger represented a different division in the Old Testament. You start out with the law, which of course was the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then your next finger was the next part of the Old Testament, which was history. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. And then you got into the poetical books, which was like Psalms and Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, Solomon's writings. And then you had the major prophets, which were Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the minor prophets, which is the last, your last finger, but it's the last section of the Old Testament. It covers about a year, of, a span of about 400 years. And there's 12 12 of these minor prophets, and I, I think I might have mentioned it last week, but they're minor prophets because of the length of their writings, not because of their importance or their significance. But the Hebrews, in their Bible, they just call it the 12. They just have all those 12 books from Hosea to Malachi put together, and they just call it the 12. And a couple of things to remember, we, we've covered Amos, and we covered uh, Jonah last week, and today we're talking about Hosea. But a couple of things just real quick. When you study these minor prophets, it's important to remember that they don't necessarily go in order, that they're kind of spread out as far as chronologically and when they preached and when they taught, to whom they preached in different times in history. So it's not just all in order. And they didn't always preach to the same group of people. So when you read maybe Hosea, which we're looking at here today, Versus Jonah, Jonah preached to the people at Nineveh, but Hosea preached to the northern tribes of Israel. And so there's, there's differences in all of these uh, prophets and what they, I mean, their ministry, where they came from. So we're going to read these, from, these verses from chapter 14. If you have a, a handout there, we'll uh, read these nine verses, and I think it's the entire chapter, but um, you can follow along. Hosea 14, 1, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, turn to the Lord, say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, You are our gods, for in thee the fatherless find mercy. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. What a statement. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from them. 
Verse 5, I will show, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily, cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return, they shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? Ephraim is another way of saying Israel. What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Who is wise? He shall understand these things. Prudent, he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. And so Hosea is probably one of the longer of the minor prophets, but it's a, it's a wonderful story. It's a, it's a great story. Because Hosea, his name literally means salvation. And um, when Hosea was ministering, the, the nation of Israel had already divided into a north and a south. And, you know, after Solomon was the king, uh, there, was, there was Saul, David, and then Solomon. After Solomon was the king, the nation divided into a north and a south. And so each division had their own king. And, you know, uh, the north was uh, made up of 10 out of the 12 tribes. majority of the people were in the north. The south was just two tribes. It was Judah and Benjamin. They called themselves Judah. And if you look at them, this, this northern Israel, northern part of Israel, they started out bad, they continued to be bad, they ended bad. There was no up and down with the northern part. It was just, it was just all downhill from the very beginning. The southern part, Judah and Benjamin, that's where Jerusalem was at. They were kind of up and down through the years. And they had times where they would serve the Lord and they would live for the Lord, but then they would just fall off and they would, just, they would plummet spiritually and morally. And a lot of it depended on who the king was. You know, they had, they had a period of time where there was a king by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was a king for 55 years. He set up idols in high places throughout the land. The people followed the leadership and they just, they began, I mean, the idolatry throughout the land under Manasseh was just, it was almost unprecedented. And then when he died after 55 years, uh, his son Ammon became the king. And for two years it just continued. But, you know, so they, they hit bottom under Manasseh and Ammon. But then comes along another person, an eight-year-old boy. And his name's Josiah. And Josiah assumes the throne in Judah. And he begins to institute, institute revival. And he starts, he brings back the Passover. And great revival happens under Josiah, you may remember how that they were cleaning up the temple and they, they go into the temple and they're moving stuff around and cleaning the, the idols out and working, getting things out. And they find this book of the law buried under rubble, buried under something. They find a book of the law and, the, and they take it to uh, the priest. The priest takes it to the scribe and the scribe reads it before Josiah the king. And when Josiah hears the word of the Lord, the Bible says his heart is rent, his, he had his tender heart and he he says, oh God, how far we have come from you. We need to find out what the Lord has to say. And so they seek out the prophetess. Um, and the prophetess says, because your heart was tender to the Lord, the Lord's going to honor you and hear your prayers. And great revival happened under Josiah. Other kings like Hezekiah. But it was just kind of this up and down, up and down. 
Josiah or Hosea here was in the north. And the powerful thing about Hosea is that his life is an object lesson. His life is this story. And it's like, it's like the Lord tells Hosea, Hosea, you have to live it before you can preach it. I'm going to use you as an example for the people so that they understand just how much I love them and how much I care for them. And Hosea's marriage and his relationship with his wife became a picture of the Lord and his people with Israel, the people of Israel. It just it drew a perfect picture. So Hosea marries this woman named Gomer. Um, the Lord tells him, go out, <clears throat> pardon me, find a, a woman of the prostitutes, among the prostitutes, which is an interesting thing that the Lord would tell him, go find a wife among the prostitutes. So he finds this woman, Gomer, and they have three children, Jezreel, which meant scattered. They had another child named Lo-Ruhama, which meant unpitied. And names meant a lot back then when they would name their children. And then they had a third child, um, and they named that child Lo-Ami, or Lo-Ami, <laughs> which meant not my people. Scattered, unpitied, not my people. So Hosea and Gomer have these children, and Gomer splits. She says, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to where I came from. And so she goes back out and starts becoming involved with the other men, other men that she was not married to. Um, God said, Hosea, go get her. Go find her. And so Hosea, the prophet, searches out for his wife, and he finds her on a slave market being sold as a slave, and he buys her, he purchases her back. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 says, The Lord said to me, and I'm reading from the New King James, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans, so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one, one half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so too I will be toward you. And so this, this, this relationship, it's not an ideal relationship. It becomes the picture of God going after his people unfaithful, idolatrous people. And God says, I'm not just going to let you go. I'm going after you. Because I love you with an everlasting love. I'm not just going to release you. And so just like Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, Israel, the nation of Israel, they were unfaithful to the Lord. The nation of Israel was married to the Lord. And this is, this is a point I think is very important for us to understand. That the relationship that God has with His people is on the same level as when a man and a woman are married. The covenantal, covenantal relationship, the level of that, that's the level by which we should uh, understand God's relationship with His people. That a lot of people treat the relationship with the Lord as this peripheral thing. Well, um, you know, God is just a part of my life. But 
we understand from the scripture that it's, it's like a marital relationship. It's at that level. It's not just a relationship. It is the relationship. People that are married, that's the most important relationship in their life, outside of the Lord, of course. But as far as physical people relationships, the most important relationship to any man is the relationship with he, he has with his wife. And the most important relationship that a woman has with any, anybody else that is married is her husband. I mean, it's, it's the greatest, you know, per people relationship. So when you talk about our relationship with the Lord, that's the kind of commitment that the Lord desires. And uh, even the New Testament says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Whenever Ephesus, the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, when they began to move away from the Lord, it says that Ephesus, they left their first love. It's like a relationship. It's like a marital relationship. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And I think it's interesting that James would use that kind of language to describe our relationship with the Lord adulterers and adulteresses, when you have a friendship, when your relationship with the world is more meaningful than your relationship with the Lord. So, he describes it as being unfaithful. Our relationship and our faithfulness with God is a big deal. It is a big deal. The other day, we, a couple of weeks ago, we, on Mother's Day, we did the vow renewal service for Johnny and Tafa here, here in the church. And, uh, you know, they've been married for, I think, 20 years is what they had been married, but they didn't have a regular wedding when they got married. And so uh, Sunday afternoon we did that ceremony. And, but I told the people that were here, I said, there was no doubt Johnny and Tafa, they, they've loved each other all the time. I mean, the way you hear Johnny and Tafa talk about each other, you knew, that they, you knew, you knew already they cared about each other, that, uh, you know, they, they had that kind of a relationship. But our relationship with the Lord, it is a big deal. God does not want us to be unfaithful. God does not want us to just take it frivolously or take it lightly. But our walk with the Lord is a big deal. And so I got to thinking here, and I'm going to ask you for your help for a minute here. Um, you, got, you got Hosea and Gomer, and you got Gomer who goes off and gets involved with other men. Spiritually speaking, we have people who walk away from God. They're not faithful to God. And I got to thinking, why, why do people walk away from the Lord? And, and I, I would ask you this morning, why do people backslide? Have, have you ever just stopped to think, why do people lose out with God? Um, what, what causes people to say, you know what? I'm going to go this direction. I know that's a big question. That's a big, and there's obviously more than one answer, but it happens all over the time, or all over the place, all the time. People are up and down, and I understand that living for God to a certain degree is cyclical. There, you know, living for God, we have our ups and we have our down times. I understand that. We have we have better days than other days. But what causes people to just say, you know what? 
I'm going to go this direction in my life. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. This relationship with the Lord, is, it's, it's important. And, you know, whenever we say, you know what? <clears throat> I think I'm going to get this stuff in my life. I'm going to get involved in this. And it starts robbing our time, and it starts robbing us of our devotion and our consecration to the Lord. There's a pull on it. And it's just like a marital relationship. When people, when people say, let's say, for example, a man just marries his job, and he's so wrapped up in his work, his relationship with his wife is going to suffer. He starts cheating on his wife with his job. Well, people cheat on God with other things. They get devoted to other things. They get devoted to other relationships, other people. And it isn't long that it becomes a draw, a drag on them. It becomes a pull on them. Why? You know, and, and it isn't long, and, and they're more in love with what's going on out there than what they are in their prayer life, and their walk with the Lord. John said it this way, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passes the way, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And, and again, just like a husband and wife, they should only have eyes for themselves that each other you know a man should not have eyes for another woman a woman should not have eyes for another man right we don't have eyes for another god we don't have eyes for the things of the world our dedicate our dedication is for god all that's in the world is less the flesh less the eye and the pride of life so we don't flirt around with stuff this is why we have standards in our life this is why we say, you know what, I'm drawing this line and I'm not going to cross that line because I need to protect my relationship with my, with my God. There are certain things that I do as a man. There are certain things that I do as a pastor, as a preacher. There are lines that I don't cross. I, for example, I don't, I, don't, I don't allow people in, the, in my office if I'm by myself. I don't allow people of the opposite gender into my office if I'm by myself. And in some people's eyes, ah, oh, that's silly, that's, that's old-fashioned, that's antiquated. No, it's not. It's a protection. It's a line. And so the same is true because I want to protect the relation with that, my relationship with that woman back there. I don't want there to be any, any kind of suspicion or, or any kind of appearance of impropriety. I don't want that to ever happen. And so in our walk with the Lord, we draw lines in our life. You know what, Lord? I'm not going to get involved with this, this, you know, it may, be, it may seem innocent to be involved in this activity, but Lord, I know if I get too wrapped up in it, I'm going to start thinking about that more than I take to think about you. That's, spiritual, that's what spiritual adultery is about, is we become more wrapped up in other things than our relationship with the Lord. So we guard it, we're careful with that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. They that are Christ, this is Galatians 5.24, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections with the affections and the lust. 
So just like it's important for couples to guard their relationship by not getting involved in outside activities and with other people too much, we protect our relationship with God by drawing lines and setting boundaries in our life. Israel was heading the wrong direction. They were, they were on there. In fact, as I already said, they were just, it was a continual downhill slide for them. You read through Hosea. Hosea describes Israel um, in chapter 6, verse 4. He said they're like a morning cloud. A morning cloud. You know how a cloud just kind of appears for a while and then it goes away. They're just kind of fleeting. He's, in chapter 7, he calls them a cake not turned. He said, Israel, you're a cake not turned. You're half-baked. Cooked on one side, but you're raw on the other. That's, a, that's what surface religion is. That's what that is. Chapter 7, verse 9, he said, <laughs> like gray hairs. What he's talking about is you're, you're losing strength, but you don't even realize it. A silly dove, chapter 7, verse 11. He said, you're like a silly dove, unstable, a deceitful bow, unreliable. This was where Israel was. And so here's what Israel said. Brother Good, do I have chapter 6 in there? That was it. Put those up. This is what Israel did. They said, you know, we're on our way down, so here's what we're going to do. Chapter 6, verse 1, he said, Israel said, we're going to have revival. <laughs> Come, let us return to the Lord, for he hath torn. He will heal us. This is Israel's approach. We're going to have us a revival. He has smitten us, and he will bind us up. Verse 2, please. After two days, he will revive us. The third day, he will raise us up. We shall live in his sight. Go back one, please. There we go. Then shall we know if we... <laughs> All right, I gotta get my... If we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, the latter and former rain upon him. Israel said, we're going to have revival. But it wasn't one of those real change, deep transforming revivals. It was, it was kind of a counterfeit revival. It's kind of like a surface revival. And those kind of revivals don't change us. We need, we need a deep move of the Holy Ghost if we're going to change. Amen. So they tried it, this, this revival without genuine repentance. But, you know, when you're, on, when you're heading that direction, um, uh, you have to change some things. If you're, if you're sliding away from the Lord, you have to make adjustments. Um, and, you know, I, I've talked about this on Wednesday nights. Sin is a direction. That's why you read words like backsliding. Sin is a direction. Oftentimes we like to categorize things. Well, I can't do this because it's a sin. And it's not just the act of sin, it's the direction that we set. Well, the pastor says, I can't do this. It's not just about the act, it's the direction. Um, and so the, the people of God, they were backsliding. 4 and 16 says, for Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. It's quite an image. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. ESV says, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. People who are backsliding, they're stubborn people. They're hard-headed. Chapter 11, verse 7, my people are bent 
to backsliding. So uh, let me ask you another question here. Because I want you to think here with me. And, and, I'm, and I'm, the, I'm the pastor, and I'm thinking about this partly from a pastoral standpoint, but when people are bent on backsliding, when people said, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. Pastor, it doesn't matter what you say to me. I'm going to do what I, I feel like this is good for me. I'm going to do what I want. What's our attitude toward people that are backsliding? Because we recognize it, don't we? I mean, we see that. We can see that, right? Yeah, no. What, what's our attitude toward people that are? Do we get mad? I'm, I'm, I'm asking, I mean, you, what, what's your attitude? What's our attitude? Are we critical? Are we condemning? How should we respond? I know I don't often ask for feedback when I'm teaching, but somebody got a thought? Very good. She said empathy and compassion. We need more empathy, by the way. We need to be people of empathy. Anybody else thoughts? I know, I know the scripture says this, that when a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Um, it's easy to criticize the guy that's down, isn't it? It's easy to set ourselves up when we see people making mistakes. Um, but I don't think that's the attitude of the Lord. A, Israel was backsliding. They were, they were heading that way. And people today, people, people who consistently push God out of their life, they're missing out on the blessings of the Lord. Israel just said, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. They just kept pushing God out. People today who consistently push God out of their life, they cannot live a blessed life. People will reap what they sow. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap life everlasting. When a person is stubborn towards God, they lose. They lose. That's not a critical statement. That's a fact. That when people become stubborn, and, and I think it describes Israel as being stiff-necked, they lose. They lose joy. They lose power. They, use, they lose usefulness. Um, and they will reap what they sow. People will reap what they sow. And I don't say that in a condemning way. I don't say that gladly. In fact, it hurts as a pastor to know that people are going to reap what they sow. Now, it won't affect me. I can sin. I can keep on sinning. I can keep planting the seeds of sin and rebellion in my life. And I'm going to be okay. No. You'll reap it. You'll reap the seeds that you're sowing. Because the law of the harvest is, is a law. It works. And, and, you know, it happened to Israel. It happened to God's people. As they kept planting those seeds of rebellion and idolatry and, and unfaithfulness to the Lord, the Lord said, you're going to reap it now. In 712 B.C., the Assyrians come in. This northern kingdom of Israel made up of 12 tribes. Hosea's reaching for him. He's preaching repentance. He said, you've got to get right. But here come the Assyrians. God said, you're going to reap what you sowed. 
so the Assyrians come into those 12 tribes and they conquer them, they overtake them, and they, they scatter the people around. Samaria, in fact, 2 Kings chapter 17 says, and I'm not going to read all these verses, but verse 3 says, up Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea, who was the king at that time, became his servant and gave him presents. And those, that part of the Bible describes how Assyria overtook Israel during that time. But when God, and this is important, I think this is important for us today, for ourselves, but also for people that are walking away from the Lord. When God allowed the Assyrians to come in and conquer his people, God was not trying to destroy them. He was trying to dis- discipline them. And sometimes we see people, we watch, we've watched people, we watch people walk away from the Lord, and their life just, it plummets. It's upside down. They're not happy. They're miserable. You ask any backslider. I could ask family. I've got family members who are away from God. I could ask them. If they were honest with me, they would tell me that they are miserable. Um, they're reaping the seeds that they've sown. But God, it doesn't, it doesn't preclude the fact that God is still, God's still reaching. Come back. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you reap this harvest that you've sown, but it's not because I'm trying to condemn you or judge you. It's because I love you and I'm trying to reach for you. You saw it whenever God, later in, in, in 588 BC, when the Babylonians came in and overtook the southern kingdom and carried them off to Judah. That was God's way of of disciplining his people. And so God sends the Assyrians into this northern kingdom because he's merciful. God's merciful. Amen. He's faithful to forgive. And then you get to chapter 14, which we read, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. Thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Verse 4, I will heal thy, their backsliding. Wow. He said, I will love them freely. I, I underscored that in my notes. Because that is such a powerful statement. And, and again, it made me think, okay, if God loves people freely, Derek, what's your response to them? How, how are you going to treat them? He says, I'm going to love them freely. When, when, when the backslider comes back into the church. I told you so. Carla, I told you. If you just listen. I didn't know you back then. But. We don't wag our heads at them. So. The Lord says, I love them freely. I think of the story of the prodigal. The prodigal goes back and, he, of course, he hits bottom. He's reaping the harvest that he's sown. He's eating with the pigs. He said, I'll rise and go to my father's house. I'll be a servant in my father's house. That's, that's got to be better than eating with the pigs. And he gets up and he goes back to his dad's house. Dad sees him from afar off. Oh, my son that was lost is found. My son. But you remember big brother? You read the parable? Have you read the story? The prodigal's brother sitting over there saying, Dad, why, why is he getting a party? Why are you killing the fatted calf for, for my brother? Didn't you see the way he, he, what he did in his life? He took the inheritance and he went out and he spent it all. And 
What's the celebration about? God forbid that that would ever be us. But that when a backslider comes in, it's so good to see you. Because I'll guarantee you something, and you know this, they're not going to come back to condemnation and they're not going to come back to criticism. They're going to come back to love, aren't they? Amen. And God says, I love you with an everlasting love. He's reaching. He's reaching for people. There's, I, sometimes when I pray, I think of, I pray, I pray this way because I can't remember all the names. God, would you move on all the people that have visited this church? God, would you move on all the people that have felt your presence? Those, Lord, have heard your word. God, would you move on those people that have received the Holy Ghost? Because there's been a few of them. They've been in the church. They know what it's like. They've tasted of the good word of God. Amen. But thank God he's merciful. Amen. Thank God he reaches for people. If we confess our sins, first this is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who is wise? This is verse number 9 that we read. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, the transgressor shall fall therein. There's no one too bad. There's no one that's too far gone. There's no one that has sinned too much. He forgives. He forgets. God forgets our sins. He doesn't forget them in the way that he loses his memory, like we forget to go somewhere, or we forget to show up somewhere, or we forget to call somebody back. But God forgets in the sense that his, the sin is no longer influencing his decision. Like when we forget, and I talked a little bit about it Wednesday night, when we forget our past, it's not that we lose our memory of everything that's happened to us in the history, but we lose, our, our, we lose the influence of the things in the past in our life. So we forget. God forgets. He forgives. He forgets. Like the song they sung at Easter, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hosea's prophecy, this beautiful story of Hosea, it should be a reminder to us that God wants to reach, that God wants to restore, that God wants to make people's lives fruitful. Amen. That sinners, that backsliders, they are not too far gone. Amen. I know people, whenever they come back to church, when people come back to God, they're a little bit hesitant to, to take that step. They're a little bit hesitant to, you know, because they're wondering what, what are people going to say, what are people going to think. But I'm going to tell you, the only person or the only thing that matters is what God is saying and what God thinks of us. Amen. And He loves us freely. He will love us freely. Amen. The Lord is ready to receive. The Lord is ready, ready to heal their backsliding, he said, and forgive them. The Lord is waiting with open arms. Amen. Amen. I'm glad I serve a good God, and I'm glad I serve a God that forgives faithfully. Amen. The Lord has never let me down. I've let him down multiple times, and uh, I just, I feel like I let the Lord down. I let people down, but uh, you know what? The Lord doesn't hold those things against us. You know, he's a faithful God, isn't he? Why don't you stand with me? So you're ready to take a break. Let's worship the Lord. Let's give the Lord thanks. All of us have fallen. All of us have made mistakes. But we have a faithful God. Why don't we worship him here today? Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. The blood, O oh Lord, God, that washes us and cleanses us, Lord. 
covers all of our mistakes. Thank you, Lord, for the promises of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Lord. I thank you we can stand here, Lord, in your presence and, Lord, be able to draw closer to you. I thank you today, God, that you have loved me freely. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. God, I pray your power, your grace, O oh Lord, would be renewed in each one of us today. Hallelujah. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Our time's up. Praise the Lord. Let's take a break. If you need to step out and go to the back. Um, is there coffee left, Sister Wallace? There's some coffee back there if you need a quick jolt.